Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Good morning. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity. I'm Carolyn Ford here with Eric Trexler. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. I'm, I'm recording from Breckenridge, Colorado right now. I know I'm jealous. Welcome, listeners. We are bringing you today's episode. This is a special episode, really hot off the presses, so to speak, um, because we want to address the recent breaches in over 18,000 organizations known by many names, including Sunburst, SolarGate, Dark Halo. Um, But we have the man here to talk about this. We have Dmitry Alprovich. He is the co-founder and former CTO of CrowdStrike. He's a renowned computer security visionary. He has served as special advisor to the DOD. He's the guy. When I say this is the man, this is the man. He's the guy that revealed... Russian intelligence agencies in the DNC. He brought to light Aurora, which he coined this term, the greatest transfer of wealth in history, which I want to ask you, Dimitri, have we raised the bar with this one? That's a great question. Well, the first thing that people should appreciate about this particular hack um, is that it, it is believed that Russian intelligence is behind it. But it's also important to understand which Russian intelligence agency. And at this point, all signs point to SVR, which is the Foreign Intelligence Service, the Civilian Foreign Intelligence Service in Russia, sort of the equivalent of the CIA, more or less, um, uh, emerged out of the KGB. And um, this is very different from the main agency that uh, was responsible for the interfering in the U.S. election in 2016, which was the GRU, Russia's military intelligence agency. And the reason that why it matters is that SVR has a traditional espionage mission. They are um, not unlike the CIA are responsible for collecting secrets from other countries in order to educate the policymakers in Russia. They typically have not done active measures campaigns that uh, the GRU has uh, famously engaged in, particularly in cyber. They have not done anything destructive that we've uh, also seen from other Russian intelligence services. So at least right now, all the signs point that, wow, this is a massive hack. That is uh, probably the, the, the most consequential cyber espionage um, operation in history. It looks like it was done for the purposes of collecting strategic intelligence from government networks uh, and as well as private sector networks for, for the Russian government, but not for the purposes of economic espionage, not for purposes of destruction, not for the purposes of active measures. That can still change. We're still in the early aims of this, but at least for now, this looks like traditional espionage that, frankly, the U.S. intelligence community does all the time as well. It is um, a great situation because of the scale and impact of what they have done. Uh, But I think, uh, you know, as we're seeing uh, various policymakers and and pundits talk about cyber Pearl Harbors and virtual wars and the like, I think those analogies analogies are not appropriate because at, at at the end of the day, what we're dealing with here is theft of secrets. All nations do it. You know, the way I sort of look at this is good on them, but uh, shame on us for letting them. And the answer here is not, you know, a massive response uh, against Russia. It's really how do we defend our networks better? God knows we have plenty of, of reasons to um, 
to respond to Russia for a variety of things that they have done to us over the years. This is not one of them. Yeah. So how would you compare this to like an OPM where we burned several generations of, of intelligence uh, personnel records, right? So, so the adversary knows most anybody who had a clearance at that point. At a level of gravity, Dimitri, I, I keep going back and forth. Like, which is worse, knowing who all the operatives were, knowing all the secrets about them for multiple generations, or the depth that we're seeing here in just sheer espionage? Well, unfortunately, we don't yet know what has actually been stolen, right? Um, we were only literally a week into this of uh, starting to do the investigation, starting to uncover victims. We're going to wor- uh, be working on this for months possibly uh, well into 2022 as, as we're responding to these breaches. So we may very well find out that from a scale of what was stolen and importance, it is actually way worse than LPM, uh, but it, it's surely to say, say right now. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the industry experts, if you will. They're really focusing on the, the supply chain breach, right? The breach through solar winds. When I look at it, though, that, that was just the open door, right? That was the, they, they walked in across the drawbridge into the castle but they were able to compromise Active Directory, Exchange, and on and on and on and get privileged access. It was almost like they walked into the door of the castle. They spent up to nine plus months in the castle doing what they needed to do. They created sympathizers, fake privileged accounts, and likely exfiltrated immense amounts of information and left compromised components and assets inside the castle gates. Would you agree with that? That is exactly the right way to think about this. And um, the reality is that SolarWinds, we now know, was not the only vector in. Uh, CISA right. published an advisory a few days ago saying there were other mechanisms for them to get in. So, so I agree with you. The focus on the initial vector, um, I think, is a little misguided because there are other vectors and there will always be other vectors. But the, the fact of the matter is, uh, you, you got it exactly right, Eric. They were able to roam these networks for at least nine months, probably even longer, with no one had, having any clue that they were in there. And that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem for defense. It's a huge problem for the intelligence community because I view this as a massive failure of, of both. Well, in corporate America, the defense industrial base and all the other corporate accounts that have, yeah, I think the biggest issue is they don't seem to know what happened. They, they, let me rephrase that. They don't seem to know the extent they don't know which accounts are good, which accounts are bad, what they've lost, where the adversary is right now in many cases from the reports I'm getting. Well, and based on your breakout times, Dimitri, Russia can get to what they're looking for in 18 minutes, right? So like my mind is thinking like they've got everything. They've been there for nine months and they can get what they want in 18 minutes. So, so just to explain for your audience, the breakout time is a term I coined a few years ago, which was really looking at how fast adversaries are at accomplishing their objectives. Sort of from the moment they get in, however they get in, it could be a phishing email, it could be a solar wind supply chain hack like the one we saw here, to the moment that they can break out of that initial beachhead that they got onto, that initial machine, they were able to compromise to other systems within the network, which requires elevation of privileges, it requires stealing of credentials, lateral movement, et cetera. And once you do that, once you break out, you have the uh, ability to, to get to sensitive information and ultimately exfiltrate it. And um, in, in my research at CrowdStrike, we were able to see that the Russian uh, intelligence services were the fastest 
um, on average um, than any other adversary by um, uh, several orders of magnitude. And it took them uh, less than 20 minutes from the initial access to, to ability to break out. So, so you're absolutely right. They move very, very fast. And, and the whole point of the breakout time is sort of as a defender to start thinking about how do we become just as fast? Because if we can contain them at that beachhead, if we can't stop them from spreading, then they can't do any damage. You can eject them before they get to, to other sensitive parts of the network. Um, but clearly, uh, we, we weren't able to do it in 20 minutes. We weren't able to do it in nine months. So uh, we're way, way behind here. Yeah. So maybe this is a good time to explain your 11060 rule, Dimitri, because I, I think that's the most concise way to look at a breach um, and, and, and you know how you should handle it, like what good looks like, what an optimal look is. Could you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this this uh, operation underscores that uh, principle better than 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 anything I could have done over the last uh, number of years as I've been advocating for this. But basically, it starts with the, the um, uh, change in methodology, right? For the last 35 plus years that the cybersecurity industry uh, as it is uh, has existed, we've been focused mostly on building walls. How do we shore up our defenses? How do we build the highest defenses around our network to prevent someone from coming in. And I think that has been a very misguided approach because just like the castle walls that you've mentioned, Eric, have not worked uh, in, in protecting castles and, and have broken down as a method of defense in the physical world. Similarly, it has not worked in the virtual sphere because there's just too many ways in, too many zero days that we keep on discovering potentially insiders that, you know, an intelligence service can drop a uh, a bag of, uh, of cash, maybe a million dollars on someone's doorstep and ask them to put some malware on the network. How many organizations that have thousands of employees uh, would not be susceptible uh, to an approach like that, particularly with employees that may be foreign nationals already who could be coerced because of family back home or blackmailed uh, or what have you. So we know that, you know, if you take a, another um, sphere, counterintelligence in the U.S. government, we know that they assume that at any given point in time, there are foreign spies in our uh, foreign intelligence services, right? And the job of counterintelligence is to root them out. We need to be operating under the exact same assumption in cyber, assuming that the attackers are already there. Could be an insider, could be an external threat actor that walked that has walked in through some sort of vulnerability that you may not even be aware of, or someone clicking on a link. And then you need to find them as quickly as possible and get them out. So the whole principle is that it's about speed. How good you are in defense really is about understanding um, how fast the attacker is and then and then be faster than them. And whoever wins that race is ultimately um, going to win the war. And uh, with 11060, it's a way to start tracking metrics that are really important to this rule, um, the speed based metrics that are outcome driven. And it's really about measuring three things. One is how fast are you at detecting an intrusion? to how fast you are at investigating that intrusion, because any detection, you have to investigate it in, in terms of, is this real? Is this a false positive? How far did they spread? Um, started building a plan for remediation, and then actually how fast you are at doing that remediation and kicking the adversary out. And 11060, uh, the, the reason for the name is that I've always believed the best organizations need to be as fast as one minute at detection, 10 minutes at investigation, one hour to remediate with, with, uh, on average um, with, with the idea that if you are that fast, you are able to prevent most adversaries from doing any damage, even if you are the Russians. Yes, on average, they're, uh, they can spread in 20 minutes, but um, 
they, they don't exfiltrate within 20 minutes typically. So you can still, if you get there within an hour and kick them out, um, you're, you're in really, really good shape. Uh, but uh, regardless of what the specific numbers are, I believe every organization needs to tra start tracking for every incident they have. What is the average time of detecting that incident, average time to investigate it, average time to remediate it, and um, start reporting those metrics to the boards of directors, start setting goals for that, and uh, making sure that you're driving it down. And there are different ways to drive it down with technology approaches, process changes, hiring of people, et cetera. Uh, but this way, at least you know that the investments you're putting in are actually having a desired outcome that you can measure and you can provide to your board um, that doesn't have to be technical, right? Most boards I, I meet with have no expertise on cyber, nor do I actually think that they, they need it. But every single one of them can understand if your target was to remediate in one hour and it took you nine months, you missed it by a mile. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the challenge, right? I mean, aspirational goal, that's where we should be. But pretty much every organization that we know of so far that reported at least missed this one. By a mile. The only one that didn't is FireEye, which I think right. actually deserves enormous credit, um, not just for detecting in the first place, but to actually having the courage to come forward and announce it and, and announce it before even they had completed their investigation. Because at the time they came out publicly, they didn't even know that SolarWinds was responsible. Imagine if they had waited a few days, no one would even uh, criticize them. All the focus would have been on, on SolarWinds from, from day one. Uh, but I have to give Kevin Mandia, the CEO, a ton of credit because it took a lot of courage. Um, legally, they probably weren't obligated to do so because no customer data was impacted. Uh, but the, because they did so, we now know about this intrusion and everyone is now searching their networks for the presence of the adversary. So to me, this also underscores the need for breach notification laws where every company must be held to account and has to report the fact that they've had intrusions on their network, even if no PI data was stolen, even if it may not be material to that company's bottom line, because everyone else knowing about it, particularly the technical threat information from that attack, uh, would help um, all of us to get better. Agreed. So, so 60, one hour to remediation. We're now, you know, let's call it a, what, a week and a half into almost, we're certainly more than a week into knowledge of what's going on. Um, from what I'm seeing in the industry, from my contacts, we're nowhere near 60, even on the remediation, now that we, we detected what happened to some level. I mean, they're still trying to figure out what did the adversary do? What did they get? Where are they? Would you agree oh, with I, that? Absolutely. It's going to take months at this point. And, and, and the reason why one hour is an attainable goal, even though it looks daunting right now, is if you actually detected within one minute before they spread, right. before they get administrative credentials, before they bury themselves deep, um, then you can actually remediate, right? Because you can contain them at one machine, remediate one machine, you can absolutely do in one hour. Once they're on thousands of machines and you, you don't even know where, no, that's gonna take weeks and months. Um, and, and, and that's a huge problem. And that's why uh, this is such a, a grave threat to us because we don't even know which networks that are on at this point and what they're doing. So I know lots and lots of uh, uh, government agencies right now are operating under the assumption that any email they send, the adversary may be reading it unless they're on classified networks. Yeah, it's interesting. Watch this, Carolyn. I, I, I saw a report from Duo Security, I think, over the weekend, and I don't want to call anybody out necessarily, but they said, hey, there was no failure in any of our products, but the adversary subverted the multi-factor authentication. 
capabilities, right? So they didn't even need Duo. Because of um, bad hygiene. Well, because they were allowed to spread and they and, well, and SolarWinds gave them they, access to so much. But they initially got in because of bad hygiene, right? Fair point. I, I don't know if you can say that because uh, the reality is that if you're using SolarWinds and you're updating packages, they're signed by SolarWinds, they're coming from their website, you know, virtually no organization out there is going to be reverse engineering the update uh, packages from their vendors to see if there are backdoors in it, right? And right. um, I don't think that the initial vector we can attribute to hygiene, at least when it comes to the SolarWinds compromise. I, I would have put it on the creation of the update packages, that whole, you know, that supply chain. Within, within solar winds, yes, but I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what I was referencing. I would so, not. So, Dimitri, put yourself in the put yourself in a CISO or a, C, a, a CIO's perspective at this point. You just found out that you know the adversary is in your network or likely in your network. They've been there forever. You you have a lot of data. There's a lot of information out there. It's confusing. Some accurate, some inaccurate. What do you do? Where do you start? How do you how do you now cleanse without just burning it all down and starting over? Yeah. Well, I, I tweeted this weekend, actually, there, uh, there was a story that uh, I was quoted in. I didn't say that, but someone else said, uh, and that was the headline of the story, that we need to burn all these networks down. And, and I said on Twitter that I, I'm generally not in favor of arson as a solution to any cybersecurity problem. <laughs> um, but uh, that aside, I would say that uh, we, what we need to do is, first of all, if I were in this role, is first and foremost, immediately look at my SolarWinds installations. Um um, I hope that I have logs both on uh, the endpoint itself as well as network logs. And there are organizations out there that, that uh, keep DNS logs, for example, and network traffic logs for a long time. And you can go through those logs and look at whether the backdoor, well, one, does the backdoor um, exist on, on those systems and has it ever existed? Two, uh, has it called out to the command and control server? Luckily, there's only one domain that the backdoor has used. So, so if you have logs, very easy to check. If you if you log the responses, um, you can see if the um, command and control service sent back a kill switch. The vast majority, you know, you talked about 18,000 organizations. Those are the organizations that downloaded the backdoor from SolarWinds, um, but vast, vast majority, probably over 90%, received back a kill switch from the C2 because the adversary basically said, we don't care about you, you're not the target we want, shut down the malware, um, uh, make it effectively inert on the system. Um, and uh, you wanna know if you're in that batch, right? That, which means good for you, you probably don't have a problem, you just need to remove the back door and move on. Uh, whereas um, if you're in that uh, smaller percentage where you're high value target, they were really interested in you, then you've got a huge problem because now you know that the adversary got in, that they were um, able to likely spread uh, beyond that SolarWinds installation. And now you have to do the full incident response to try to track everywhere where they are. You need to look for their implants. You need to look for any new uh, accounts that they may have created within the network, um, other persistence mechanisms they may have deployed. So th this is going to be a huge, huge investigation. And the challenge that many uh, agencies and the government are going to have and many private sector entities is that there's just not enough uh, incident response teams, particularly really good ones, to do all this work for every potential victim out there. So um, uh, some of you um, uh, that who are listening, who are dealing with this, you know, hopefully you've got IR retainers with top firms, and you can leverage those to get to get um, those people to help you out. Uh, if you don't already have that, chances are you won't be able to get anyone for some time, given how busy. Supply constrained. 
Exactly. Supply demand. Um, but the um, uh, the other uh, issue is that we know that the solar winds was not the only vector. So, again, for, for the CISOs that are sort of breathing, breathing a sigh of relief saying I didn't I don't use solar winds or I didn't update uh, the software. I was talking to, uh, to, to a company uh, literally uh, the other day who said, we're so lucky we haven't updated our solar winds installation in a couple of years. Uh, it's, it's ironic how you know, typically we would not consider someone like that lucky. Uh, but that's uh, that's not the only way in, and 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 Russia is not the only adversary, of course, that's out there. So all, all of these organizations, I hope, I hope, are using this uh, incident as a learning experience to say, you know what, we need to rearchitect our security processes. We need to um, start doing hunting if we're not doing already, continuous hunting, looking for anything that that's off, right? The reason Fire caught this is because the adversary was creating a new user account, bypassing Dua, and an alert triggered um, that typically is, is an innocuous alert and people ignore it. But in this particular case, it jumped on it, started investigating, and found that there was an authorized user on the system. Those are the types of things you want to look for on your network all the time with a very critical sort of skeptical eye towards saying um, what's not looking uh, correct. Um, if I were an attacker, how would I hide? Where would I be? Let's look for, for any presence of that uh, activity in our logs. So I, I want to take you back to November of 18. You testified in front of the Senate Armed Services um, Board, and, and you said the three most important strategies DOD should utilize to gain an upper hand in this fight are hunting, cloud technologies, and the 11060 rule. You also said... Too often hygiene efforts come at the expense of hunting down and ejecting adversaries that are already likely in the network. I mean, you, you spent a ton of time talking about hunting, and I think you, you closed with the only way you beat an adversary is being by being faster than them. You could say you were ahead of your time. You could say you just saw, you know, the vulnerabilities in our defenses, if you will, or capability. Do you think anything will change? I mean, this was two so. years ago, and I, it wasn't the first so. time I heard you say it. I, I'm spending this week briefing congressional leaders, including later later today on this issue. There is uh, massive interest in, in, in trying to do something, and, and some things have already changed. One of the things that um, I have to give Congressman Gallagher and, and Angus uh, Senator Angus King and others who are part of the Solarium Commission a lot of credit for it, is that they got uh, a lot of great um, – ideas from the Solarium Commission through the NDA uh, bill, the, the Defense Authorization Act that, that just passed Congress <clears throat> and is on the way to the president's desk um, to really reform the federal government. Uh, they gave CISA new authorities to hunt on federal government networks. Kind of amazing that uh, that wasn't already the case. Here we have a cybersecurity. Okay. It's in the name that can't actually do cybersecurity in the federal government um, and, and actually even go beyond that. And um, uh, with the agency's permission, they can actually take over the entire cyber program. So we'll see if the Biden administration starts, starts leveraging those authorities. I know there's a lot of interest on the part of the transition team in those. And, and there's a lot of other great things as well. And in fact, um, uh, one of the other things that got passed, um, and I, I would like to, to think that I help with that, is that DOD was mandated to run a pilot on speed-based metrics. So metrics like 11060 that they can actually uh, look at and use to evaluate the technologies that they're buying, 
the um, uh, you know uh, operations that they ha- they conduct on the defensive side uh, use speed to determine how effective the, those things are, and I think that's well overdue. And in that same committee report, you said that our cyber ops were as good as any in the world, which that makes me feel feel good about things. Our offensive um, ops, yes. Yeah, offensive, yes. Carla. We we didn't do so well yes. in this one. No, well, but do you know what? Chris Krebs just said that they were a ghost. There was nothing to hunt. So what do you think? I, I don't, I, I've actually talked to Chris about this extensively over last week, and I disagree with him. I think um, they were very good, no, no question about it. They were not the best I've ever seen. There were definitely things that they did that were quite noisy. Uh, one of the things that they, they, they and, and frankly, we know that because it, it's it's obvious because FireEye found them. There was noise that, that got triggered and, and, and they investigated and found them. There were other things that they were doing, disabling security products, calling out to uh, recently registered domains, creating new services, a variety of things that if you're looking hard, and it, it's not easy, but if you're looking hard, you can actually get your spidey sense to go off and, and start look, looking into the right places. I'm going to assume that they traded they, they traded volume for speed or speed for volume. They said, hey, we're going to go fast. We'll be a little noisier, but we're going to get as much as we can. Actually, I don't know no. if that's the case. No, uh, it's actually quite the opposite. So we now know that they got into SolarWinds in October of last year and didn't okay. immediately leverage the access. They introduced a new backdoor into SolarWinds in October, but that backdoor was essentially inert. It was a testing mechanism to see if we introduce an additional code into the platform, will anyone pick it up? And they ran that for months until in March, they actually replaced it with their malicious code um, and ran the operation. So incredible patience. Right here, you are in the target and you're going to say for the next four or five months, we're just going to test things out. We're not even going to right. run them up. So um, I think it's actually one of the most patient attacks I've observed yet. Even the backdoor itself, when it lands on the system, it doesn't call out to the C2 right away. It waits weeks uh, yeah. until it does so. So uh, this was very well done, but not impossible to detect. Okay. So, fact, so they made some mistakes. So they were, they were really good, but they did make some mistakes. It wasn't conscious. Let's, let's work faster to get as much as we can out. And, and listen, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone is human. Yeah. It's not like, uh, you know, we have Hal that's, uh, you know, f- uh, from uh, Space Odyssey that's running this. There are humans on the other end. They're always going to make mistakes. And you can catch those mistakes if you're looking in the right places. Well, Dimitri, to your point, the multiple vectors, and when I said that it was poor hygiene, I was actually referring to the think tank that just got breached. And it was through, they hadn't changed out the secrets. It was bad hygiene. Is it the same adversary? So same adversary, solar winds patch, same adversary coming in through. It it looks that way, but but I can tell you, having worked with a lot of think tanks over the years, um, they don't have the best security because- you know, they're running on a shoestring budget. They're not going to have the best security teams or, or the best technology. So, so that's not necessarily, you know, I think a, a baseline for us to evaluate everyone else. Okay. But, um, you know, hygiene is important. And, and I, I don't want people um, that are listening to think that here, Dimitri is saying, don't do hygiene. Of course, hi, uh, do hygiene. But just like, you know, we just went through this and still going through this COVID experience. And remember, everyone was paranoid about washing hands back in March. Well, we now know washing your hands is actually pretty important, but it's not going to stop you from getting COVID. You need to do other things as well, such as social distancing, mask wearing and everything else. Similar to this, hygiene is important. No question about it. 
it is not going to stop a dedicated adversary from getting in a well-resourced adversary like the one we're, we're dealing with here. It's going to stop others. So, you know, you don't want to have a door open to, 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 your, to your house, not because that door is going to stop SEAL Team 6 that wants to get into your house. It won't. But, you know, a kid that wants to run in and steal it and grab it, your TV, absolutely, it will, it will deter that actor. So you, you want to do both. But my issue with hygiene and what I was trying to articulate in my Senate testimony was that we're literally spending 99% of our efforts on hygiene. The balance is off. Even if it's 50-50, 50 on hunting, 50 on hygiene, that would be a much better balance than what we've got today. And we're not going to hygiene ourselves out of this problem we, we need to do both. And, and frankly, you know, if to do good hunt, hunting, you need some hygiene because if your network is so compromised, if you've got no visibility, no, no introspection to uh, what's going on, your, your hunting is not going to be effective either. So, again, both are important. We need to get the balance right. And right now we don't. Well, I would argue that good hunting will drive better hygiene because you'll be able to tell the defenders, you know, your defensive teams where the holes are. So they can that, also, and I agree with you, Dimitri, it's totally out of balance. That, that, that is the critical point that you hit. You really hit the nail on the head, Eric, because hunting, when you discover adversaries, you learn how they were able to get in, how they were able to move laterally. You, you know then from that practical experience where you need to go to patch up holes, where you are missing uh, logging, where you, know, you could shore things up to make it harder for them to move laterally and so forth. So all of that is educated by what you find as opposed to working off some random compliance checklist. Yeah. All right. All right. We have to let him go because he's got to go brief Congress on this very issue. Do you have time for some quick rapid fire questions? Let's do one minute. Yes. All right. What are you reading right now? I've uh, actually just finished an amazing book uh, that's actually behind me, Active Measures by Thomas Ridd, uh, which is a history of active measures operations by Russian intelligence services going back a hundred years. People that think that this just happened uh, in, uh, recently in this new cyber age uh, are deluding themselves. It's been going on for a long, long time. Fascinating book that where he uncovers a lot of incredible operations that, that have been conducted over the years. Do you have a cybersecurity must read? You know, there's so many bad takes out there that it's hard to um, to recommend something that, that that's really good. But I recommend, uh, you know, looking at some experts on Twitter um, that are really good and have insightful commentary and following those. Do you watch TV? And if you do, have you watched anything you like lately? <laughs> I do. I think there are some amazing shows out there. Um, the one that I, I, I just finished that uh, highly, highly recommend to everyone is Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yes, that was awesome. I'm a chess aficionado. The way they portrayed chess is, is absolutely incredible. And Gary Kasparov, the former world champion, was actually one of the advisors. Uh, the movie is incredible. It's not just about chess, of course. It's about life as well and this incredible woman. Uh, but uh, really amazing show. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Yes, but uh, I can't tell you. <laughs> next time. Okay. All right. Next time. We're going to let you go on that. We have a lot we of are. people who are going to be working the holidays here. Um, we're thinking about them. This is a big problem for our country and, and for the world, really. So Dimitri, thank you so much for Thanks spending for time me. today. I hope you are powerful. I hope you are convincing and I hope you move the needle later on today. I know you have in your career. Don't stop, please, because this country and the globe needs it. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you very much. Dimitri. 
Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 